correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello, Steve. Hello. I have internet again. <laughs> yes, I know. I told everyone last week that your ISP sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my ESPN didn't come in clearly. Anyways... This week, we have quite an interesting topic, but before that, we have a podcast of the week. That podcast is Eberron Renewed. Yep, Eberron Renewed is an actual play podcast here on D20 Radio Network. And uh, as you might guess from the title, they play in the Eberron setting, which, of course, is published for Dungeons & Dragons. Now, Never, never would have guessed that. (laughs) Their first campaign they did in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons that ran for, I want to say, close to three years. Now, I think they're almost they're getting close to wrapping up their second campaign, in which they converted to the Genesis system. Yeah. And they have announced that for their third campaign, they will not be using Genesis again, but they haven't said what they will be using. So that remains to be seen. We're going to play it in Palladium. I don't see Eric and crew doing that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that would be a lot of work. <laughs> could oh, you imagine how you just I'm, made my head hurt? You would, could you imagine how bonkers that would be? Yes, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Speaking of problems, metagaming. Metagaming. Yeah. Well, see, it's weird because I think one, it's a problem depending on how you want to play, but in some cases, I think kind of taking a meta look at things also can help play be more fun i think it depends so we need to i think start by defining metagaming i know our audience probably already knows what it is but i think just to have this conversation we need to define it for ourselves Mm -hmm. and to me metagaming is bringing outside knowledge into the game world so you as the player know a lot of things that maybe you as the character do not know Mm mm-hmm well, I think that the classic example that's always pointed to is like the D&D trolls and fire. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, like I, I don't know, you know, to just go automatically to fire if your character has no reason to know that. But then what would you do? Would you have a player make some sort of knowledge role? And uh, I think I think it's well, it's kind of like D&D is D&D is something that. D&D is one of those things where metagaming is heavily frowned upon and a problem, right? Yeah, I think some of that is because so much of D&D is heavily codified. Right. So I think some of that is also like skeletons, right? Skeletons in D&D are only damaged, well, not only damaged, but heavily damaged by bludgeoning weapons. Is that still the case or was that an older editions thing? I don't know. I thought I it think was that's still... an older editions thing. Okay. Well, either way, even but if it is regardless, older... I know what you're talking about. Right. So skeletons were damaged by bludgeoning weapons, and zombies were damaged heavily by 
piercing weapons, right? Yeah, whatever it was. Whatever it was. So that's a bit of meta knowledge that you wouldn't have acquired unless your character fought and were like, oh, I killed these skeletons real good with this club. But when I tried to stab them with my rapier, I just couldn't get the, they just wouldn't go down. Mm -hmm. And I think the trolls and fire thing is that that's one of those things where it has to be in game. You have to discover that either organically or you just straight up have an NPC tell you, hey, by the way, trolls don't like fire. Right. But at the same time, or you, or you read a book. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, as you know, the core conceit of Dungeons and Dragons is your characters are adventurers. Well, at some point there are, you know, the hall of adventurers that at some point they, you know, sat around and listened to adventurers tell stories. So could they have heard something? And that's where I think, you know, in that case, you know, I don't know. Do you make some sort of lore role? Yes. I think the difference is, is that if you can, I never sort of bad with metagaming because if you can give me a good reason why your character has this knowledge, I'll let you have it. Yeah. Like if we're playing D and D and you go, well, my character heard once at a bar that trolls are afraid of fire. All right, fine. If you want to try that out, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, if you can give me a in-universe reason why you know this, I'm not going to give you a hard time. But stuff like knowing the rate, knowing fall damage, and knowing that if you jump off a building, it's not going to kill you, that's not something your character knows. Right, right. Because we both, I mean, not to be rude, but we both played with a character who, or a player who would be like, well, if I jump off this building, I'm not going to, I'm going to take this much damage. I'm not going to die from that. And it's like, well, that may be true that you know that, but why would your character just fling themselves off of the building? Right. And I think that's, yeah. And and look, I think to a certain point, we're all guilty of that a little bit. Yes. You know, I know I can be. I will do rough math quickly in my head and go, okay, you know, I should be careful about this idea or whatever. But this kind of goes to a point that I heard um, Jim Davies, WebDM, make mm -hmm. in a in a conversation he had with a friend of ours um liam from toa tabletop and where he yeah. talked about he encourages people to play the world right which sounds a little weird until what he's saying though is is think as a person in the world not the numbers on your character sheet see okay maybe that's just a me thing but that's like my default state when i'm role playing my least favorite part of of playing a character is worrying about the numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, numbers be damned. I'm going to do the thing that my character's going to do anyways. Mm -hmm. And I've irritated people we've played with before by doing that, but I don't care. Like, it's like, well, are you sure you want to do that? It's not the most optimal thing. No, my character's a dumb idiot. He's going to do that thing. Well, but that's, that to me, that's like half the fun of it. Yeah. Is, is that or like, there are times where I've built characters that were well built, but intentionally sub-optimized. Mm -hmm. If that makes like, and you weren't, this was right before you joined the group. I played a dex based barbarian build. Yeah. I've heard many stories of your, and he was crazy. Yeah. But part of the idea was that let's see how effective I can make this character. while almost intentionally issuing every bit of traditional knowledge the thing that makes that class effective right yeah and he and it worked oh yeah but oh yeah it was 
I don't know. I, I guess in a way that was metaing a different way. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, it is sort of meta knowledge, but I don't look at that as meta. Like, I don't look at that as meta gaming. I think meta gaming and meta knowledge gets this bad connotation for the people that are like, well, I'm at a hundred feet, and if I jump off this roof, I'm going to take at max this fall damage. And that's not enough to kill me. So I'm just going to jump off this hundred foot roof and it'll be fine. We're practically gods. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where I have problems with metagaming and being like, I've stopped stuff like that before where it's like, no, but why would your character do this? Yeah. And they get upset. It's like, well, but why would your character do this? Why would your character say, I'll just jump off this freaking massive building because I don't want to have to deal with this creature or I just don't want to have to like, is the building on fire? No. All right. Then there's no reason to jump off the roof of that building. Yeah. Now at the same point, the, if you want to do the crazy, you know, awning thing or slide down a drain pipe to me, that's different. That's doing something cool. Not just, yeah, hey, it won't no. kill me. Screw it. No, that's different. That's like, I'm looking for an awning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll let you do that. As a matter of fact, I'll give you one that I didn't plan already be in there. (laughs) Yeah. But the other thing is, it you know, metagaming can be frustrating sometimes because it's like, we're all trying to play and have a good time. It's almost, it's it's not cheating, and I don't want to conflate it with cheating, but it kind of has the same connotations in a lot of circles. Yeah. Well, I think too, but see, this is where I think it really muddies the waters is that in old school dungeon crawl play, we'll call it, be it D&D or any of the old, you know, that old dungeon crawling, whatever, where you had puzzles and riddles were a big thing. Well, at some point that becomes a game for the players, not the characters. Right. And that also brings up uh, another rabbit hole we could go down at some point about what happens if you're playing a character and this happens much in a game like Dungeons and Dragons, where you've got statistics that play a huge part in it. You've got your, your int whiz charisma or whatever they're called in whatever game. And how do you play a character whose score differs drastically from your own abilities or as a GM, how do you help a player doing that? I think you just have to, what you have to do is, and and you have to not be, I mean, rule number one of everything is don't be a jerk, right? Right. And if you're, if you're playing with extremes or, I mean, yeah, if you're playing with extremes in, say, knowledge, some people fall into rude tendencies. I'll just say it that way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, can you, you know. That's not how a person is just because they have a low intelligence score, right? Right. You know, and and I think it's a matter of the GM has to point out and be like, this still has to be a person. Right. And you can't play, like, unless we're playing something like, I don't know, Toon, you're not playing really a cartoon character. You're playing, like in D&D specifically, you're playing a person. You're playing a person that lives in this world, exists in this world, has to deal with the consequences of this world, and realistically, unless you're playing somebody with a, a disability and you've expressed that and you're doing it respectfully, you can't, 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking more in the context of, okay, we'll just say me, for example. Okay. I'm, I'm reasonably personable, I think, and reasonably smart. Mm-hmm. However, if I'm playing someone with a super high intellect or, or even more so a super high charisma, okay, that character, you know, in, in D&D terms, something, someone with a 18 or a 20 charisma, 17, whatever, that character is significantly more, what do you want to say, charismatic, much more able to pick up cues, read people, etc., than than I am as Steve. Right. Well, I think that's when you just have to fall into sort of like when I when I play a character like that, I I think more along the lines of like what does a charismatic person with that high of a score look like, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like you know you're playing I don't know Billy Mays, right? <laughs> like you're incredibly charismatic. You're playing you know maybe like a cult leader or something almost at that point. Mm-hmm. Someone who can make people do what they want them to do, and it's it's not necessarily not necessarily that that you're playing someone who's a bad person, and I'm not necessarily saying that, but like you just have to play the idea just has to be that this is someone who is way more persuasive, way more well but more well spoken than you. Right, right. We've all met somebody who is, even uh, at, at any intelligence level or at any any level, you've we've all met someone who you've spoken with. You're like, man, I I feel outmatched by the verbal accuracy with that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the kind of person that you're playing. You're pl- the character that you're playing end up becoming this almost larger than life. And I think it it. it it, this goes down to I hate the extremes in D and D, but when you start getting into those extreme sto- extreme scores, where you're getting into the twenties, eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, twenty, somewhere around there, you're getting into a person that's almost, and I don't want to say you know obviously D and D plays with different races, but superhuman, right? You you go from a used car salesman's maybe like a fifteen, you know, yeah. Or- really good pitch man, whatever. Right. I can convince people to buy what I want versus I can convince the king that I can, you know, that I have the the royal jewels without actually having them. Right. And then now I wonder, does this play into metagaming in the fact that you're driving those stats up that high in your character creation or your advancement because you know that makes your spells more effective or your whatever more effective? You know what I mean? Like intent is everything. I think if your intent is that, yes, if you're not intending to do that and you're driving that up because that's the kind of character you want to play, then maybe not so much that's metagaming. Yeah. If your intent is to drive your charisma up so high that you have super spells, yeah, then your intent was to bring outside knowledge into the game and and do that so that you're and to do that in a way that that you're getting an advantage at the game. But if your intent is just that you're playing someone who is incredibly, like, beyond incredibly well-spoken. Lando Calrissian. Right. If your goal was to play Lando Calrissian, then no, your intent was not 
and I don't want to say ill because that's not the right terminology, but your intent was not to get that advantage from the word go. Yeah. And well, see there, I think so too, like this gets into a lot of things because, you know, it's, we all fall into that trap with, you know, D and D specifically where we want to play a character that's as effective as the person next to us. Usually. Anyway. I don't. <laughs> well, let's put it, a lot of people fall into that. Let's, yes. I, I yeah. think that's, that's fair to say. That's fair to say. I, I, I think I just play games differently than a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> but this is also where, how do you want to say this? Different systems. And, you know, our, our, most of our listener base is moderately familiar with say Genesis. Right. Or star Wars, same engine, right? Same, yeah. Well, same horse, different clothes. You can with, because of the way that system was designed, even if you stack your stats and skills, it's still much less concrete of an advantage than with, say, D&D. Right. You know, because with D&D, you're dealing with hard numbers. With, you know, the, the narrative dice system, it's, it's much more, you know, as Jay put it when we talked with him, he wanted people to not think of it in terms of the hard probability and just think of it as I'm making my chances better. Oh, yeah. And... I think that's, it's for me at least because of, you know, how my brain works and, and my math skills or whatever the heck it is. It's very hard for me to divorce that seeing the change in probability in a system that gives me that, you know, it's very hard for me to look past that and not consider it. Sure. I can understand that. I like, yeah. And I don't know how else to say it, you know, and I don't know if that's just, you know, that's how my brain's wired, whatever that, that I look and I go, okay, how can I be efficient as a player? And yet just because I'm being efficient as a player doesn't necessarily translate to any more fun at the table. And I think that's where the, the balance between meta and, and just playing is, 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 you know, are, are you using your outside knowledge to make, what you're doing at the table more fun or more effective. And the two can be the same thing, depending on your style of play and especially your table style of play. Right. No, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I don't, that's why at the beginning I sort of quantified that metagaming isn't necessarily a bad thing in all situations. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird. And like, is it, yeah. Or, or now, okay. The other, the other, avenue we'll call it or and another avenue of, of metagaming is you know the adventure as as the player you know how do you like for example we'll say you know it's convention season so we'll say you're playing a convention game and you happen to have played the module or the adventure that's being run at the convention how do you not let that influence you and and, and just enjoy it so to speak with fresh eyes it's hard not to i think you sort of in my case, what I do is I just take a step back mm -hmm. and let the other players at the table take the helms because I do know, I do know this adventure, right? Mm -hmm. I, I know what happened when I played through it and sort of let somebody else take the wheel and go along for the ride. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a little bit more easier said than done, but yeah. So like, what about? Can you think of anything where, like, so to speak, using meta knowledge can 
can just outright make the game better? Like, you know, I don't know because it's a it, game. It, well, there's there's games like like Dread where you're playing with a Jenga tower and your knowledge of of how Jenga towers work makes that game better. Yeah. Um there are games like I don't know, every crunchy game requires meta knowledge to make that game a better game. Fair. Yeah, because well with crunchy games you again you get into that effectiveness well, line. You you kind of have to have a a good understanding of mathematical complexities in a lot of those, right? Like I'm I can outright admit that I will probably hate Shadowrun because I'm not very good at math. Yeah. Not that I hate the setting or anything, but the game, the system itself is my antithesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and see, I guess for me, like some of what I do is, is I intentionally sometimes try and go to games that have, I mean, that just kind of putting this together in my head as we're talking, but I think maybe that's part of where I've kind of gotten drawn to some of the more narrative type of games recently that are the less statistically driven games because I don't have to try and consciously not do the math in my head. Right. Yeah. If there's no math to do, I don't have to try and yeah. Because this is where you you and I have had this conversation privately. I know I actually prefer, especially like when we were playing D and D I much prefer if the DM uses a screen. And I think that's maybe a little weird for a lot of players because they're like, Oh, well then I know that, you know, the roles and, I don't want to see the rules because no, because you're doing the math in your head. You're yes. Going, well, and I can't help it. And, yeah. No, I know. I understand. I, I'm not that quick on my feet to do the math. So it doesn't apply to me. Like mm. I, I can do math. You've heard, you've heard me do math. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, <laughs> I, I make my friends heads tilt when I add in, when I have to do complex multiplication, meaning that I'm adding two two number or I'm multiplying two numbers together that have more than two numbers in them. I make my friends heads hurt because I, because of how my brain works on doing the mathematical calculations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, like, I don't know. It's, but like at the same point, is it meta if you intentionally make a suboptimal choice because you think it's more fun? Yeah, but that's the game. Right. I, I, I you can't say, I mean, Again, I think it goes back to justification. If you justify it as I made this choice because my character would make this choice, then the answer is no. But if you justify it by saying I made this choice for the hell of it, then, well, kind of. But does that make it bad if you just did it for the hell of it? No, I didn't I didn't say it was. Yeah, I well, just said I'm it just is asking. kind of I'm metagaming. Asking. Yeah. I'm sure that, yeah. I'm sure that some of our listeners are out there like screaming at their phones right now. But... <laughs> Honestly, I, I I don't think that the there's this ill connotation of metagaming that just I just don't think it really applies to games that aren't D and D. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing that I want to drive home is that in a lot of games that aren't D and D, metagaming is not this problem per se. Yeah, well, and I think you you have some games where it's very much intended for the players to kind of step outside the game and go, well, what does this all look like? You know what I mean? Like to a certain point, the whole initiative system and the narrative dice is very metagaming. Right. Yeah. Having a, 
having a conversation of, of, all right, are you going to go first or am I going to go first? Well, that would never work in like, like D and D that's super meta gaming. Yeah. And, and that's frowned upon, but in narrative dice, it works perfectly. Yeah. But also, you know, in narrative games, sometimes the meta game is the point of the game. Take, for example, we play retro star on Wednesday nights. Mm -hmm. It kind of is point of the game to metagame that a little bit well especially given the the core conceit of that is is a very weird meta concept from the get-go which took a little bit to get my head around but but i'm i'm having a blast with it well once you get your head around it it starts to make more sense but yeah it's the core conceit of that game is that you're playing actors acting on a tv show Mm -hmm. that's it's at its core a meta concept right yeah like you're not the actual characters in the show you're actors playing characters on a show mm-hmm. and, and it's a little weird because the stakes are so different right like right. Your, your your stakes are losing funding and not not like well, but like, okay, and in, in we haven't really gotten in any combat situations, but it's also like where you have this weird concept that, well, you know, just because of the nature of the, the game, right? We're the cast of the show. So there's some plot armor involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just because that's how TV works. Right. But at the same point, there's that, well, if stuff really goes south and, and bad stuff happens, what crazy storyline are we going to concoct to explain it right exactly that's really fun yeah and and but that's you know that's the core conceit of that game though is is the meta gaming aspect of it it's the you know how how are we gonna how are we gonna explain what situation these actors got in on this week's episode of this tv show that's you know scripted and everybody's watching on saturday nights or whatever Right. Well, and this, I think, also applies to, to horror games, right? Well, somewhat. You know, like the, well, if, if if you're watching the horror, this horror scenario play out from a meta third person perspective, you're like, no, don't go down in the basement. Don't go down in the basement. Don't go down in the basement. Where's your freaky noise? But yeah, that's but what your characters do, because that's where the game is. And then you have something like Delta Green, where you have to go down in the basement because that's where the clues are. Right. You know, even though you as the player are like, I don't want to go down there, you have to go there in order to complete the task that is at hand. Right. And I think that's some of some of the conceit in horror games is, yeah, the metagame, but it's also sort of a reverse of a metagame. Like you have the knowledge that something might happen, but you don't know what and you don't know how. And you, you know what I mean? Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's like as a player in a preservation mode with your character, you know better, but as also as a player, you want to know what the weird, awful thing is. Right. And so it's, look yeah, at a, it's, look at a game like Morkborg mm-hmm. or Cyborg, where you know how this is going to end is going to end with my character dead. There's no other way around it. Mm-hmm. And or, or, yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know, like Cyborg to me is is a blaze of glory game. Oh yeah, you know, like it's it's go hard and 
okay, no, you don't intentionally try to die, but the the attitude of the game is is to put yourself where, man, if it doesn't go out, it's going to be spec. You know, if it doesn't work out, it's going to be spectacular. Yeah. No, I I agree. I think that, but Morkborg's the same way. Yeah. If I'm going, I'm taking everybody with me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And it's just that style of game. That's right. a very meta idea, you know. Yeah. So I I I I think that outside of D and D, meta gaming is actually a good thing and should be encouraged. Yeah. Well, but see, like I think this is you know like like, and this is where I find it kind of amusing is because back in as I understand it anyway, you know, Gygax's design theory was very much, you know, lots of puzzles and, and very much where the dungeon was a challenge for you to get your character through. Yes. You were moving the pawn piece. It's, it's described as you are playing basically with a toy. Right. And, and that's a very meta principle. And yet that's the exact same scenario where you knowing you using your player knowledge that you need to fight trolls with fire is very much frowned upon. Well, it's, it's a change in the game itself. Yes. And no, I think that that type of, you know, the, the, the troll example, or like you were talking about the skeletons, I think is, is a thing where that was frowned upon it. Well, maybe not in the very early days, but certainly in, in kind of the, like the two E days, etc. You know what well, I mean? I mean, in the front of the AD&D book, it says in the front of the AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide, Dungeon, yeah, DMG, it does explicitly state that if you do not plan to run this game, turn back now. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that that's a core conceit in the original original text. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's weird. You know, it's kind of fascinating to me in a way because it's like, and yet I wonder too, you know, I wonder how many of, of the people who considered themselves and even people who ran, you know, 2E or, or even probably maybe not as much with 3.5 because it got a bit more complex, but how many of, of those who played it a lot and even ran it a lot really read the rules or did they just run it how they'd learned to play it? I couldn't answer that. Yeah, well, neither can I. I'm just, you know, throwing it out there. I'm kind of the outlier in that I read all of the rules and focused in on rules that I I don't know why I focused in on rules that my players wouldn't even know. I've talked about this before. When I first started reading AD&D, I, for whatever reason, and this could be that I was in high school and dumb and didn't really know, I took notes on what gems, what gems can negate what poisons and like i think it's amethyst negates drunkenness and like there's all these rules that i took notes of that i was like my players are going to know this and then i was like why would they know this i later realized i'm like why would they what would make them know that if they have this gem on them on a ring in their pocket whatever that it's going to negate x or it's going to do why? Why would they know that? Where did they get that knowledge? Because they didn't get it from me because I didn't tell them explicitly. And I know they didn't read the DMG. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's, you know, 
and that, that may even extend in, in some cases to even a lot of more modern systems where I think, you know, you and I are RPG nuts. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll read books for games that we probably will never play. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, and, and I won't say this necessarily for the, the group that we're our Wednesday night game right now, but I think in, in a lot of cases, you have one or two of those people in your average group who are the RPG nuts and the rest of them are there to have a good time. And, and I'm not saying that they don't love playing, but they don't have, for lack of a better word, the borderline unhealthy obsession that you and I do. Right. No, I understand what you're saying. No, I, I get that completely because I didn't have internet last week. So I read a lot of books that <laughs> I actually got through a lot of my library. Uh, nice. I found a book I'd been looking for for like two months. Hey, that no, cool. wasn't a game book, but well, book is a book. Yeah. No, I, I got through a lot of my game library because I was like, yay, I have the time. <laughs> it's amazing. I couldn't do anything internet, else. Right. What was that? I said, the internet is such a, a funny thing because it's all this information at your fingertips. And yet most of the time we use it to waste time. Well, in all honesty, it's not like a lot of what I do on the internet is not wasting time. It's just I... tick tock. Well, that. <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, it's because there's so much there. It's like this losing the forest for the trees thing right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah I, I i don't know where i was going how i was getting this wrapped around we were talking about reading things but yeah no i get what you're coming from when you say i i would bet that a lot of players aren't as avernus readers and i i can see that i i can see that in the people that i talk to and i tell you know my friends that play that my friends that play ttrpgs and i go Oh, did you hear about this? No, I'm always the first person to be like, have you heard of this game? <laughs> <laughs> it's always a shocker when somebody comes to me and is like, hey, Steve, I know a thing you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that. Is it like, I mean, like, hey, Steve, I heard about this new game that's coming out that you didn't hear about. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I get what exactly what you're saying. It's it. It feels pleasantly unusual to be surprised by something like that yeah because we're usually the ones that are like we're usually the ones that are on top of that yeah but like you've said before you know it's it almost feels like uh, us as as avid consumers and and openly avid consumers we just i don't know we absorb so much more that other people don't i don't know yeah, no, it's it's a weird, weird perspective in a way. And I think sometimes it's hard. And, and I know you and I both deal with this in, in other things aside from gaming because we just have these weird things that we go down a rabbit hole of information on. And we will sit there and talk someone's ear off about all these details of whatever, and their eyes are glazing over because they're like, huh, well, I lost you, you know, 20 minutes ago. Hey, Steve, have I told you I'm starting a soap business? Exactly. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like no, that one in particular, we don't have, you know, we can't have a conversation on, but you and I have gone down conversational rabbit holes about things that'll leave three quarters of the world standing there staring at us. Like what the heck are they talking about? Let's, let's talk about Japanese motorcycles from the (laughs) nineties. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's any of that kind of stuff. Right. And, and, 
I think that kind of, what do you want to say, obsessive knowledge gathering is common amongst the gaming community. But what I find so fascinating about the community as a whole is we have these kind of like common behaviors, but we focus them in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that was going, but I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know, but I, I get what you're saying. Well, you I, know, I'm with you there. I mean, like when you and Ian have a fish conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I don't know. I, I think that. And then it's interesting when somebody brings like outside, like super niche outside knowledge to a game, right? Mm hmm. You bring that meta knowledge, that super niche meta knowledge to a game and it, and and can give a reason why something does or doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I can't think of the example. We were playing something and I was like, but that's not how that works. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it, there was something that I was like, yeah, except that's not at all what. OK, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 funny that way. And, and in some cases, I think that's, that's a case where the meta knowledge is brings up kind of a fun element to the table, at least, even if it's not necessarily part of the game. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't know. It's, this is one of those topics. It's like, there's a lot of thoughts swirling around my head, but I don't know how to look. Cause I guess for me, you know, the meta in the concept of, using player statistical knowledge to like you said, you know, know that I can survive jumping off a building. Well, that kind of just is like, man, but why, like you said, why would your character do that? Yeah. Are you, are you Superman? No. All right. Then why are you jumping off the building? Like, (laughs) you know, or, or do you stay in tight with the bad guy, even though, you just got walloped because you know you can take one more of those before you back out. And like yeah. that's man, that's that's tough. And that you know what I mean? Like it's a lot of I mean, a lot of D D is that like it's kind of funny because the conversation is that meta knowledge is frowned upon, but in D D it's all meta knowledge. Because I'm pretty sure that if I took half of like me as a person took half of my life points, my hit points. I would run away from whatever just took half of my hit point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that if I got in a fight, a bar fight, I would not, you know, murdelate the guys that I got in a bar fight with because just because they started a fight with me. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's weird. You know? Well, yeah, I, I do know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else we got? I think we got game of the week. I think we just move it in game of the week. We got game of the week. Woo-hoo. Game of the week. Game of the week. So you got one or do you want me to go first? I got one and I don't know if you've used this or not. Okay. I have, and, and I know you were on a kick of this a while ago. I have a game called Teenage Mutant Dirt Bags. I have not heard of this one. By Fat Goblin Games. Ah. So the description, you are mutant animal, but nobody uses that stupid name. You are a teenage mutant humanoid animal, animal raised by zealots, trained as warriors, and taught that you can only stop whatever weird crap the world might be stewing up. Humans basically screw up everything and are either can't be trusted to solve their problems or are just too stupid and lazy. At least that's what you've heard. 
I mean, this looks, well, not so much look, sounds like a love letter to Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael. Oh, it and... is. <laughs> the, the cover art is, is four tree frogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it feels like it has the feel of the old school Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles before, before Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles got the cartoon. The old mm-hmm. gritty cart, the old gritty, um, the actual comics, comics. Yeah. See, I, I don't know those really, but they're weird, man. They're weird. I, 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 I fell down this hole. I was like, I need to know because I heard all these things about it. And so I went and I read a lot of them and I was like, wow, that's freaky. Mm-hmm. It's, it's dark. It's gritty. It's dirty. It's slimy. It's gross. And this is. This doesn't necessarily evoke that, but it definitely has a feeling of of teenage rebellion and angst and anger that I really like. It it feels kind of dirty and grimy and slimy and and all wrapped up into that teenage mutant ninja whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no adolescent that's... Viking squad. <laughs> looks like it could be a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. It just released. It's brand new. Uh, yeah. July 26th. So, yeah. Yeah. Check that out. I mm-hmm. know we sort of, we've been on this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kick recently because <laughs> you had had one a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Mutants in the next. Mutants, or mutants in the now, now or whatever. Or one of them, yeah. There's a bunch of these out there, too. There is. There is. It's cool, though. I mean, hey, nobody wants to make an officially licensed one, so. uh, Well, there was an officially licensed one. There was. There isn't any more. No. Who is the... Palladium had the license. Publisher. For what? Uh, no, I was just looking at this game. We Are Legion is the... It's, um, I think that's Rick Hershey. I think that's... I believe kind of what so. He... I know that's his company. Yeah, I was seeing I was seeing Rick Hershey in the, in the, in the comments. So I, I'm thinking that's exactly who that is. It's probably Rick Hershey's... Probably one of his games. So it's it's gonna at least have really good art, and and yeah, very cool stuff there. Yeah, yeah. So what what do you got? Well, I'm going kind of old school here, and this is a game that I'm not even sure how much of an actual RPG this is. Uh oh. Probably it's a little more of a board game, maybe with some RP elements, but this is basically Twisted Metal, but before Twisted Metal. Okay. Car Wars. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Car Steve Wars. Steve Jackson Games. Now there is a the the latest version is the Car Wars Deluxe Edition which was released you know, 4 or 5 years ago, but it's it's vehicle combat um yeah, you customize your vehicles, maps, tokens. So I think it it's it's almost a little more of kind of a board almost a miniatures game in a way. Yeah, but, but I always heard Car Wars was I always heard Car Wars was a uh, a tabletop RPG. Yeah, so that's I've I've heard about it for years because I mean, like I said, this version is relatively new, but I know it's been around for years and years and years. You know, going back into at least I want to say the early nineties. Well, I remember there was a yeah, there's some pretty cool minis for this game. Is it Car Wars Classic? Uh, let me see. Uh, don't know if it will give me a. Um, and they have the, so yeah, yeah you 82, guys, 
you're probably looking at the classic one. Well, the one I had called up was the deluxe. Okay. Yeah. The deluxe edition. Uh, they have a, uh, well, I think it just wrapped, but there was a Kickstarter for car Wars sixth edition. Okay. Which is where I was seeing those cool mini, the cool minis for the cars at. But like, I mean, I'm sorry. This just seems like I would have a hell of a lot of fun with it. Oh, yeah. Just because, well, you and I both, right? Because we're both yeah, at least a little bit gearhead. Um, yeah. You know. I'd be down to play some Twisted Metal. But, like, I'm sorry. that To me, that this feels like what someone went, they played Car Wars and went, let's make a video game, and it turned into Twisted Metal. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, I, like I said, I'd be down to play some. I'd be down. That's why I was, like, wanting to get into Atomic Highway, because it felt like almost like a Twisted Metal style game. Yeah, I... I haven't read all of it, but the, what I read of it, it it's definitely a, 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 a post-apocalyptic with a heavy amount of vehicles, but it doesn't, you know, like where this is, the Car Wars is is straight up just vehicle stuff. Right. Um. But, yeah, it just, I mean, I'm sorry, yes, it's it's old, you know, yeah. but that doesn't mean it's not bad, or, yeah, the, just because it's old doesn't mean it's not good, right? Right. Um. Yeah, that's from Steve Jackson Games, and it's been one of those, like I said, I, I remember hearing about it way back in the 90s, and I've never actually seen it, though. Yeah, I've never, I, I've heard about it, I never got around to actually getting a chance to play it, but it looks cool, I've always heard good things. There's all sorts of, you know, splat books and stuff for it, and extra maps, and have it, well, here's the the one, there's a, a auto stop and gunnery shump. So one of their splat books is called Uncle Albert's Catalog from Hell. Uncle <laughs> Albert's Auto Stop and Gunnery Shop. Nice. <laughs> you, you know, like, just, I mean, I don't know. I, You know what? There's something. I, I Mechasis has some promise to me, both as for what it is and possibly something I can disassemble to make a vehicle game that I've always wanted to play but I've never seen. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like. And and it's it's kind of like I don't know what the game is, but I'll know it when I figure it out. Does that make any sense? I got you. <laughs> I got you. Well, with all that being said, as a reminder, this October, October first and second, we will be at the Pittsburgh Gaming Expo. Come check us out there. As always, links to everything mentioned are in the show notes: uh, Facebook, Discord, Twitter. Uh, Patreon. Patreon. Yes. Check out our Patreon. Cool stuff coming up over there. Um, We should have a new Patreon episode releasing eventually. Yeah, I actually started working on it the other night. Oh, sweet. So sooner rather than later. Uh, I started working on it. That doesn't mean I'm going to finish it, but I got to keep the regular ones out before I work on the Patreon ones. Yeah, but, you know, we try. Yep. Uh, But, uh, yeah, as always, We want to thank everyone for listening and remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at andrpgs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another.
for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. We want to thank everyone for listening and remind each one. Remind each one.